The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Well, hello there and welcome in as we get ready for another weekend. And we've already had a wild week midweek. We thought we'd be previewing a, a, a battle in England involving the descendants of two premier fighters from the 90s. We thought Conor Ben, we thought... Chris Eubank Jr. would be squaring off. Well, it turns out it's boxing. We're not going to have that this weekend. We're ready to explain that, but we're ready to also talk about the Showtime card coming in Carson, California, that features Sebastian Fondura in the main event. Top-ranked WBC 154-pounder, kind of an oddity. Such a big, tall, long-armed guy fighting at 154. We're ready to talk about his fight card and much more. I am the somewhat capable host. He is our insider from Fight Freaks Unite, the Substack. From BigFightWeekend.com is our content partner. He is Dan Rayfield, back aboard, uh, ready to swat me and swat anybody else on all things uh, Clomid and performance-enhancing drugs and whatever else that we're ready to share. How you feeling? How are things? Yeah, quite a day. Uh, as we tape this, it's the day on which the Connor Ben and Eubank fight was uh, termed a postponement uh, for the reasons that we are going to discuss. The positive drug test from Connor Ben, kind of depressing, kind of a bummer. So I was busy uh, writing about that. People can read the story on my Substack and certainly read it on the Big Fight Weekend. Uh, was hit up by some of my friends overseas on, in the UK uh, to talk about it on their YouTube channels and on uh, my good friends at TalkSport Radio. Uh, so it's been busy as it relates to uh, this fight because all the, all the controversy that's gone into it and the, and the length of time it took them to postponement, et cetera, and just the general disappointment that this fight that so many of us were looking forward to uh, were off. But I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, TJ. I'm going to take some time this weekend at some point and I'm going to go dig out either my DVD or go on YouTube and I'm going to watch Connor. I'm going to watch uh, Nigel Ben against Chris, Chris Eubank senior. I'm going to watch their two fights, which I haven't watched in many, many years from 1990, a middleweight title fight. And then a a super middleweight unification from 1993. That was the controversial draw. And I'm going to check those fights out. Like I said, haven't watched those fights in 10 years, probably. So what you're saying is you're going to get some Ben Eubank no matter what. You're not going to oh, yeah. get the younger Ben and Eubank Jr. You're going to get some other Ben and Eubank from back in the day, back in the 90s, as you and I love the nostalgia. Uh, so more on that in a few moments. Reminder again, however you found us, social media link, uh, whether you found us through Dan's Substack, through Fight Freaks Unite, his email list, et cetera. If you found us through the Big Fight Weekend website, whatever the case is, uh, and a lot of people also are obviously finding us through the different podcast outlets as well as we're popping up us in terms of boxing and under sports, Apple podcast, uh, Spotify, Google podcast. Thank you for finding us. Make sure you're following and subscribing. Dan, again, I repeat, we are seeing audience growth continue as August becomes September, September becomes October. Thank you to the fans for finding us. Uh, we appreciate that. And again, we'll we'll continue to pledge to be here. Previews usually out Friday, uh, late night Thursday and Friday morning. Recaps usually out late night, Sunday night, and Monday off the weekend. You can uh, basically set your watch by it. You can have your calendar by it. TJ and Dan going to be here previewing. TJ and Dan going to be here recapping on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. So lots of feedback. Yeah. If they subscribe, you know what happens? I do know, but tell them anyway. you tell me, because I've been doing it. Now you tell me. I, I will tell you they will get a notification of some kind, whether that is a light, a ding, a vibration, uh, whatever the case is, whatever you have it set for, you don't even have to have any other prompting. You're just going to know there is a new Big Fight Weekend preview, Fight Freaks Unite recap, or some special stuff. Like, for example, you have had a recent conversation with Caleb Plant, who will be the co-feature, the former IBF super middleweight champion, who will be the co-feature against Anthony Durrell, on the upcoming Deontay Wilder pay-per-view with Robert Hellenius, that is a week from Saturday. That is not Saturday this weekend, but a week from Saturday at Barclays. You will hear that conversation on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed, and you won't even have to be prompted that it's up, it's there, as part of one of our podcasts or a standalone conversation, either one. That's a great example. So we look forward to hearing you with Caleb Plant uh, here on a subsequent podcast that's coming on this feed. And they could have just heard us, uh, heard my interview recently with Deontay Wilder. Was right the on October back, 15th. Go right back and hear yeah. the bronze bomb. And also, talk about it. we also had Devin Haney, who's in a different fight, his undisputed lightweight title rematch with George Cambosis. We had him on the podcast also uh, in, the, in the last uh, week or two. So 
we're getting the good interviews and we're getting the good conversation. There's no doubt. And they can go right back on this podcast feed, this big fight weekend podcast feed and hear those interviews because they are standalones and hear those conversations. So that's why you want to be following and subscribing again. Uh, we come in in the preview mode. We got a little news of the week. Let's get into it with the cancellation of this. So at, at first, are we giving was, away? Or are we giving away the key cards? Oh, that's right. So the key cards, we do finally. have a winner. We do finally have a winner for the Canelo Triple G One magnetic little key card with the fight poster on it. Dan with a great little trinket, a great little memorabilia piece from the first fight in Vegas, September 2017. And you're even backing up two years before that. Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao, magnetic key card. These from the MGM Grand Hotel has the fight poster on the key card. We're giving away both to one winner. And we say thank you because he paid attention. He screenshotted his review. We went into a random drawing. We drew his name. Thank you, Danny, for paying attention. Danny, who is Coach Dan, a boxing coach Dan on social media. He's over in the UK, Dan Rayfield. It's not you. It's another Dan. Danny is our winner drawn at random because he rated and reviewed the podcast. He took a screenshot. He got in the random contest. The key cards are coming to him, Dan Rayfield. Congrats to Danny in the UK. And it's going to cost me extra postage because they're not going to the United States. <laughs> so thank you very we'll much, Coach Dan. Danny, we are promising that it may be there by Christmas. It could be there uh, by July 4th, which is a U.S. holiday, not a British holiday next year. But you will be getting those key cards. We'll get them to you as quick as we can. We'll get in contact with Danny. We thank you to everybody that rated us and reviewed us throughout September. We'll do another giveaway probably coming up at some point. But those are really cool little items. And uh, Dan, Dan, uh, we're just going to pledge this. It's on the way. When it gets there, take a photo, put it on social media, tag us so that the fans know, just like our previous winners, uh, Homer won the Tyson Holyfield hat. Homer's a listener to us. Homer sent a social media photo wearing the hat. And our buddy Edrian in California, he got the Haney Cambosis one fight poster that you got for him. These are some outstanding memorabilia items. Um, as Devin Haney became the first undisputed lightweight champion in 30 years uh, in the division. Um, and so you sent that to, to Edry, our boy out in California, and he's got it already up on the wall uh, in the house, sent us a social media pic. So, Danny, you're on deck. You're next. When the fight cards, when the little room key cards come your way, we want a social media photo for that. And thank you again to everybody for following, rating, and reviewing and participating. Keep doing that for us. It helps other people find us, and we're good on that. All right, with that out of the way, let's get into it, the controversy. At first, it looked like they may try to fight. The British Boxing Board of Control said, no, no, this is a positive drug test. You're prohibited from fighting. Dan, pick up the trail here. Ben Eubank Jr. is off. Give us the, give us the, uh, the latest here as we head into the weekend without this fight and without this fight card. Well, so in England on Wednesday, it was the Daily Mail, one of the newspapers there, that broke this story uh, that, that revealed – that Conor Ben had failed a test for a, uh, a, a performance-enhancing drug, a banned substance that is on the WADA ban list. It's not just on the ban list in competition, I mean, or rather out of competition. It's on the ban list in competition and out of competition. Uh, and so uh, it's called uh, clomiphene. It's a, it's a drug when given to women that's a fertility drug that, that helps uh, women who have right. problems ovulating and getting pregnant. However, if you're a male and you take this drug, it's going to boost or it's meant to boost your, your testosterone, which if you're a boxer, that's going to be helpful to you in a fight, obviously. Uh, and so he had a positive drug test for that. And uh, the promoters came out, acknowledged that this was a adverse finding, which is what they call it in the VADA paperwork. When you have there's there's three kinds of findings. If you receive the paperwork, I have seen many VADA paperwork uh, trails in the past because I've reported on this many times and have had uh, a number and broken a number of stories about positive drug tests, including Tyson Fury when he had the cocaine test, uh, Lucas Brown, uh, Gerald Big Baby Miller, and uh, others also. Uh, in any event, you can have an adverse finding, you can have a negative thing, which is what it's supposed to be. And then there's one that could, I forget how they term it, but an in, inconclusive, which is they got a retest that there's maybe a little bit of a problem. In any event, he was uh, uh, positive for this substance not supposed to be in your system. And so uh, they, they said that they were looking into it, all this, but the British boxing board, as you said, they said that they had prohibited the fight. Now they never mentioned the drug testing. This was done because lawyers write these statements and they were basically making the point that saying that we're not going to allow the fight because it's not in the quote, best interest of boxing, which <laughs> is part of their mandate when it comes to regulating the sport of boxing in the United Kingdom. But 
the test that Connor Ben failed was administered by VADA, which Eubank and Ben signed up for voluntarily on their own. They did a private agreement that they would have VADA uh, do their random drug testing. They paid for it uh, and that was going to be done. But the problem there is that the British Board of Boxing Control does not recognize VADA testing. Their official tester is UCOD, which is United Kingdom Anti-Doping. And Connor Ben passed those tests. So the point that the promoters, Eddie Hearn from Matchroom Boxing, who was a promoter for Connor Ben, and Callie Sauerland from Wasserman Boxing, who was the promoter for Chris Eubank, were like, whoa, 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 you cannot cancel our fight. He did not fail one of your tests. So what the, what the board did was they didn't really even talk about the drug testing so much as the reason for it to be canceled. They were just, it's not in the best interest of boxing, which by the way, you got a positive test. Having a fight go forward is not in the best interest of boxing. So clarify something for me. You reported this on your Substack and on bigfightweekend.com that Ben apparently tested positive on the random VADA test almost two weeks ago, something around right. September 23rd. So I'll so, take you through that. So then there's a UCAD, if that's how you uh, pr pronounce it correctly, UK anti-doping test that I believe would have been subsequent after that, that he supposedly passed. Do I have that right? Help me. Go. I don't know the timing of the UCAD test. He was clean. Whatever UCAD tests were administered, he was negative on, which is fine. But that doesn't change the fact that he was positive on the VADA test. So VADA, again, according to my sources, they administered a urine test to uh, Connor Ben on September 1st. He provided the urine sample. It takes time. They don't just get the sample and test it that day. I mean, it does take a few weeks for them to, to go through all the process of testing because they don't just test for one substance. They have uh, pre-agreed to screens of what they're going to test for. It's literally dozens of substances, uh, you know, and it could be even more based on the level of testing that they hire. In any event, his positive drug test, the results after being uh, given the urine, you know, taking the urine test on the 1st of September, the results were now available on September 23rd. And so for those who don't understand how this works, VADA gets the test back. They are not a regulatory agency to the extent that they can uh, punish anybody, mm -hmm. adjudicate the case. Their role in this is they hire uh, VADA, they, they run the test, you know, they administer the test, they get them dealt with at the WADA labs around the world, and they report the results. That's their job. And so on the 23rd, and perhaps on the morning of the 24th, depending on how late in the day they got those results back on the 23rd, they send out a letter. I've seen this letter many times. And they address it to the promoters, to the regulatory agencies involved with the fight, meaning the British board in this event, uh, as well as the fighter camps. There's usually a contact person. It could be a manager. It could be a lawyer. It's maybe sometimes the individual boxer as well. And they basically run down what happened, what you tested for, when you tested, what type of test it was, blood or urine, where you were located when you took the test and what the finding was, and then what your options are. In the, in the case of Connor Ben, it was an, what they call an adverse finding for this banned substance. And that was the end of the story. And it was reported to the commission, meaning the British Boxing Board of Control. Now, the question is this, and this is why it stinks to high heaven, because those people there, the promoters, meaning Sauerland and Matchroom, as well as the boxer teams, and the regulatory body, received those results on the 23rd of September at the latest, the 24th of September via email. Well, what the hell took so long from the 24th to the day that they finally called the fight off? Here we are on, on October 6th, Thursdays, we taped this. So earlier in the day, UK time, they canceled it on the morning of the press conference. What in the world's been going on for the last two weeks? The only reason that this fight is off is because there's a good journalist doing work which is why the media is important and why media in general is important <laughs> because they put the story out. If they didn't put that story out, then the promoters and probably the British board of boxing control would have tried to sweep this under the rug and let mm. this fight happen. And that's why boxing mm. uh, stinks sometimes. And that's why media is fucking important because they hold people to account. We are not here as journalists to cause trouble. We are here to seek the truth. We are here to hold truth. We don't speak truth to power and hold people accountable. And Amen. it's not just in boxing. It's in your local government. It's your, your local school board. It's your local anything. It's your national this. It's the Congress. It's, it's companies that are doing bad things. Whatever the case may be, we are here to hold people account. And there is a journalist, and I wish I could remember the person's name, but he did a hell of a job breaking the story on the Daily Mail. And that's the reason why that fight is not happening, because they've had two weeks to address this situation. And they didn't do it. And it was only until it became public and there was an uproar and other media got involved and fans 
started the protest and the British board was held their feet to the fire. And even when it came out, you had the promoters, Eddie Hearn and, and Sauerland, trying to thread the needle to keep this thing alive and to say, by the way, it was a UCA test that was clean. He failed the body test. That wasn't really part of the deal as far as who can control if the fight happens. Well, why in the hell did you hire Vada in the first place Amen. if you're not going to live by the results? All right, so the reporter for the Daily Mail, I'll try the name. I hope I get it right. Riath Al-Samari is the Well, my hat's reporter. off to him. I salute him. He is, Good job. he is the one, if I pronounce the name correctly, in the Daily Mail that uncovered this. So a couple of more points for, for clarification. I read into this that that means that her new – Connor Ben knew, and then they were going to go ahead and try to you appeal. Eubank knew also, and his team. Okay, so they knew as well. So they were going to go ahead and try to appeal somehow, some way, and have the fight go on. And you're saying here on this Big Fight Weekend preview that had the reporter not found it, that the public would have been none the wiser that Ben had tested positive. That's what you're saying. I can't say that know. for certain. I can't say that for sure, but you can be damn sure that the promoters and the fighters wouldn't have said anything. Now, right. maybe there would have been somebody at the British Boxing Board of Control that would have had a come-to-Jesus moment, uh, but they are not usually very transparent. UCOD sure as heck is not transparent. They're the ones that covered up the positive drug test from Tyson Fury that took place before the Klitschko fight, that covered up a drug test from Huey Fury that, that ended up being backdated. Uh, they're not uh, transparent people. They did the same thing with other drug tests, one that was involving of Dillian White a couple of years go. ago. There we go. So White, here's the White knew he had tested positive, and in that case, we knew this. They didn't tell the other side. They didn't tell Oscar Rivas, the opponent on his side, at all uh, prior to, to right on the verge of the fight happening. They but just to clarify, because yeah. I, I, I just want to make sure this is yeah. clear. I don't know if the British Boxing Board of Control would have done anything, you know, even though it's been two weeks since they, you know, they had the result compared to what the days when the fight was finally postponed. But you can be sure that Matchroom Boxing and Sarah and uh, Wasserman Boxing had no intention of postponing this fight. They would have let this fight go forward. They had a big amount of money riding on this. They had a sold-out arena at the O2. They had a, uh, a big deal on pay-per-view with DAZN. Um, and again, my reporting was that, there, first of all, this is 100%, that there was going to be an effort on behalf of the promoters that if they were going to have the fight postponed and that the British board, after they said they prohibited the fight on Wednesday and they had dug in and weren't going to change, that they were going to try to get... Now, Eddie Hearn said on his own social media that despite their rumors that they were going to try to go out and get a, a uh, another regulatory body to oversee the fight, which has happened. There is precedent for that. They had the Luxembourg Commission come in and do a David Hay fight years ago against Derek Tesora. Um, number one, I'm not sure back then they could do that. I'm not sure if that was possible now. And the reason that was explained to me, and I, am not hundred percent on this is that now that the, uh, now that the UK has left the European union, that would not be feasible before it was okay. You could do that because they could cross borders and there was no issues and all that kind of stuff. But now that England went through their Brexit and they're no longer part of the European union, it would, it would be not feasible for them to go get the Luxembourg commission or the Malta commission or some right. other renegade commission to oversee their event. So Hearn said, we're not going to do that. But what they were definitely hundred percent, at least having conversations about it, it never got to this point, but they were going to look into the legal options of going to a court in the UK and getting an injunction that would prevent the British boxing board of control from postponing or canceling the fight to allow it to go through. However, let me finish this. Yeah. The zone, which bankrolled this thing and has a fledgling business in the UK uh, in terms of their overall subscriptions, doing their first ever UK based pay-per-view. The Canelo triple G three was a pay-per-view, but that obviously was an American fight at a, at a time more conducive to the United States. Whereas Connor Ben and I, and, uh, and Chris Eubank was a prime time, big time pay-per-view in the UK that had a lot of national attention, uh, even on sky, which is, you know, had used to do the matchroom fights, even they were talking about it on their news programs. The point is, this was a mainstream event in the UK. And so they stood to lose a tremendous amount of uh, subscribers and money that they hope to generate with the fight. And in the end, again, my sources tell me that the people at the zone or somebody at the zone basically had that come to Jesus moment and says, in the short term, we may make a lot of money and do a lot of good for ourselves, but in the long term, we're going to do damage to our business. Uh, and they basically said to the promoters, look, we're not going to do this fight. We're going to live to fight another day.
Love this insight. You're getting some great stuff from Dan Rayfield. That's why he's our content partner, insider, as part of Big Fight Weekend, the website, and the podcast. So what I was going to interject is Eddie Hearn had been making the argument publicly on Wednesday afternoon. He's not suspended. It's not a failed UCOD test, That's as true. you were saying earlier. They haven't taken any action against him. He should be allowed to fight. Well, as you said at the beginning of your comments, they basically put a statement out nuancing it, if you will, and saying it's not in the best interest. We're prohibiting the fight. And I guess that's what the legal challenge would have been that you haven't, if, if it had gone forward, you haven't suspended him, you haven't taken any action. All right, so that leads to one more follow-up, and then I promise we'll move on off of this. They apparently want to try to fight at a later date. How is it that he's not going to be suspended for a well, failed we don't know test? So tell me, give me, read the tea leaves. Isn't he going to be suspended? Common well, sense a, has to prevail. First of all, failed there's a couple test. things. He has the option, again, as the VADA paperwork describes, he, Connor Ben has the option at his expense to have the B sample opened and tested. Mm-hmm. And it's conceivable, theoretical, that it could come back negative, in which case uh, there, that would be obviously a, a mitigating factor there and that he right. may be viewed as innocent. The problem is I've been writing about boxing drug testing for decades. And let me tell you, I've written hundreds of stories about boxing drug testing. I've yet to see a legitimate test come back where the B sample was any different than the A sample. As I tweeted, I said this in some other uh, YouTube interviews I've I done. I know what's today, coming. You would have a better chance of being <laughs> hit by lightning and winning the lottery on the same day as that B sample coming back any different than Connor Ben's A sample. Right. So unless something absolutely freakish happens, it's going to be the same thing. Now, at that point, does the British now? First of all, it's Connor Ben's decision whether he'll have the B sample tested or not. He may opt not to. If he does, it'll still take you know probably a few weeks or a month to get the result back on that. Um, and at that point, then the British board will have to decide what to do. My uh, point I have made is that it's ridiculous that the British uh, board does not accept the VADA results. Yes, UCOD uh, is their official. Uh, testing agency, which is fine, but it's sort of like if you looked at, uh, you know, take the Nevada Athletic Commission, for example, they do testing, but when it comes to certain fights or bigger fights, they sometimes contract with VADA to do what they call enhanced testing. But certainly, even if it's not a commission uh, related test, that if there is a positive test for a VADA tested bout, they send the results to the local commission. The local commission takes those results under you know, advisement and they will have a hearing and they will probably suspend that fighter. So they accept those results. Same thing in California. Why should the UK not accept um, the gold standard of, of drug testing in sports? So VADA uh, should be accepted in the UK and that would have taken care of a lot of these problems. They would just get that result and, and go forward with the, their disciplinary situation. So whether Connor Ben gets suspended or not is still kind of up in the air. I mean, they say they want to reschedule the fight obviously in the in the statement that the promoters made announcing that the fight had been called off you know they said that there wasn't enough time basically to go through the legal process so they reserved their right to go through the legal process because they're not happy with the way uh that this was uh that the british board acted in terms of postponing it without quote unquote due process people make the mistake that you have to have a b sample result before you can postpone a fight that's absolute bullshit i've written a million stories about fights that have been called (laughs) off every single one of them has been called off because of the a sample result the b sample result just comes later um that's just the way it's always been done you know as the promoter said i'll just read read a little moment a little uh brief uh segment of their of their statement they said uh they said that it's undeniable that the british boxing board of control's decision to withdraw their sanction was procedurally flawed and without due process that remains a legal issue between the promoters and the board, which we, which we intend to pursue. So they want to go, and they have every right to do so. Go do your legal thing and see what you can come up with. Uh, but until that plays out, uh, there's not going to be a rescheduled fight, unless for some reason, which I doubt would happen, they take this fight somewhere outside the United Kingdom, which wouldn't make yeah. any sense. So we could sit here for another 30 minutes. We're not going to. I promise we're going to get to the Fundura main event on Showtime. Uh, in his battle with Carlos Ocampo. We're going to preview that. We've got a couple of other news items. Um, I just found it fascinating as everybody continued to pull out video after video of Eddie Hearn, own words, <laughs> out of his own mouth over and over again about don't let a fighter fight. Uh, I'm paraphrasing here. If he's failed a test, what's the purpose of having a test? Boom, boom. Hey, and by the way, he was guy. talking about Vada specifically. Right, right. Why hire Vada yes. if you're not going to accept if you're the not going to follow it. Yes, and we know, he, there's another one. We know, we know when you catch somebody 
somebody like this, they're cheaters. They're cheating. They caught. There can't. There can't be any uh, question about that. But again, boom, boom. Can I? Can dead. I just take another? Boom, I want to say one dead. more thing about what happened here because yeah. this is important. When they made their initial announcement on Wednesday about the acknowledgement of the positive test, the uh, adverse finding, as it's phrased in the VADA paperwork, they claimed that they had found quote trace amounts end quote of this fertility drug in Connor Ben's system. That is the single most misleading misrepresentation of verbiage I have ever heard in boxing because it is absolute nonsense. They use the word trace to make it sound like it wasn't a big deal, that it was a minuscule amount and that it's not a big thing and the fight should be able to go forward. Well, I want to explain to every single person out there that is listening that the word trace amounts as it relates to the product that he tested positive for is bullshit with a capital B and a capital <laughs> S. And the reason I say that is because there are certain, this is really important that people have to understand this because people think they know about drug testing and they really don't. There are certain substances that if you are caught taking, you get a, what would be termed a positive test or an adverse finding. If the level of the substance in your system is at a certain threshold, right. whatever that right. drug is measured by. And if it's below that threshold, you're free and clear. It's not an so let me interject. Finding. Let me interject. For example, testosterone. Males, males have different levels of testosterone, different commissions, different countries or whatever regulate what is the acceptable level of testosterone below it Correct. or above it. That's what you're talking about. Keep going. And I'll give you another example. The, the case that the very famous failed test of Canelo Alvarez from a few years ago. He had a certain amount of clenbuterol in his system that exceeded the limit that was allowable at the time. Now, I've made the point that if he took the test today, it would not be a failed test because the, the drug testing authorities understood that the, the, the problem with clenbuterol, particularly in Mexican athletes, was, was real. And the, and the, the, the folks at WADA, the, the, the World uh, Doping Agency, and the WBC followed suit, they increased the threshold. So if Alvarez took that same test today, it would not be an adverse finding. But the point is, there are several drugs where you have to be above a threshold for it to be a, a adverse finding test. Now, in the case of the product that Connor Ben took, it has nothing to do with the quantity. It's not allowed to be in your system, period. At all. So for right. them to say trace amount, they don't know the amount that was in the system because the test did not measure the amount in the system. It was just that it was there. Yep. And how, and by the way, how it got there is not even relevant. If it, if it fell out of a spaceship and landed <laughs> in Connor Ben's mouth and wound up in a system, it's still there. It's not relevant. Uh, that, that, that scenario is exactly the same as if he took a pill on his own or somebody handed it to him or right. somebody like went into his bedroom while he was asleep and, put it under his tongue while he was asleep and didn't know about it. It's strict liability. It doesn't matter how it got there. It's there. And that's your problem and nobody else's. Yep. And so let's knowingly clarify, or unknowingly. Yeah. Let's clarify a couple of other things. Cause here you're going to get unique insight from me. You've been doing it. You've been doing a master class about the whole process here. And I hope people are enjoying that. So your co-host on this show has taken Clomid by the way. Because my wife and I were doing fertility. We were both taking it. I was taking a male version of it. The fertility problem. But you I'm just weren't being, fighting. I understand that. I'm just <laughs> being honest with the audience and giving you some great insight. I took this drug. It absolutely is a testosterone boosting drug to help you. Part of our fertility problem was me and low testosterone. I took several powerful testosterone-based drugs. I know what they do. If you've got Clomid in your system, it is because you're taking a powerful testosterone-boosting drug, period, the end. I would know I was taking it. I was under a physician's care measuring the amounts in my system and what it was doing, just like what a drug test would do. So just giving you some insight, uh, and, and, and by the way, uh, this is an interesting point and should be made. It became very fashionable to have this drug 10 years ago or more when you were using performance enhancing drugs because it wasn't showing up on a lot of drug tests. Because who would be testing a male for a primarily female fertility drug? They didn't have a test for it. And so... 
Uh, Jose Canseco got caught with this, got caught with a bunch of it. Manny Ramirez, the baseball player, also got caught with a bunch of it. There have been a couple of NFL players that had Clomid in their system. And, and is Clomid the same as Clomiphene? It is the same thing. That's, yeah. the, that's the brand name of the drug. And so part of it is trying to cheat the system and cheat the test. They're not going to test for this for me because it's a female fertility drug. It's a powerful female fertility drug. But again, not to go too far in the weeds, you're absolutely right. This is something I can say with certainty. This is something you're taking to boost your testosterone because I took the drug. I know now, the only the does. only thing that could be. And again, it follows that whole element of strict liability where the reason it's in his system is not relevant, whether he did it on purpose or right. on accident. It's possible that somebody within Connor Ben's team, uh, a, a, a nutritionist, a strength and conditioning coach, a trainer, a good buddy, whatever the case may be gave it to him and he took it without him realizing it or knowing. It. But even if that's the case, you're not allowed to do that because there are boxers who won't even take a Tylenol for a headache for fear that they're going to test positive and they check everything with the agency that's conducting yes. their testing. And Clomid or Clomiphene or however you say Clomiphene. Clomiphene, that is not something that's going to normally show up on a drug test just in your system. That's not normally in your system. Right. That is something outside of the norm that you would test positive for. So just, I mean, just it was is Connor Ben's wife using a fertility drug and he took it by accident. I mean, again, you know, anything <laughs> could be possible, but at the end of the day, I'll say it once again, the reason that it was in his system on purpose by accident is absolutely irrelevant to this situation. Okay. So we've given you a ton on that. Read more. Dan Substack, Fight for Each Unite, also on Big Fight Weekend. He wrote it out. We talked about it here. And the bottom line is it taints Connor Ben. And who knows if this fight can actually happen. And there were already other questions, and we're not going to go for another 15 minutes, about Chris Eubank having to lose weight and come down to a catch weight uh, for all of this. Ben trying to move up, bulk up, whatever. So all of that is now thrown up in the air. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen with a later date later this year. Is he suspended? We don't know that. All right, other news uh, real quick. And then I promise here in just a few minutes, we're going to get to Sebastian Fundura and the fight card on Showtime and PBC uh, for the number one WBC uh, junior middleweight contender. He's in the main event for them on Saturday night, Carson, California. Give me a little the, other uh, news of the week. The uh, Fundora, the interim championship of the world. The interim champion <laughs> at 154. You know how I yes. love my interim champions. I know you do. All right, so give me some other news of the week. Give me a couple of things on uh, particularly featherweight. Some things have shook out at featherweight here with the the whole Santa Cruz, Lee Wood, Mauricio Lara's involved. Ray Vargas is now involved because he's moving up. Clarify, please give us some of the quick news. Sure. So Ray Vargas is the WBC featherweight champion. And his fight between uh, him and what was a, what was theoretically going to be a unification fight against Leo Santa Cruz, that we've discussed ad nauseum about the whole situation with the WBA. In the end, that fight was, is not happening. And so Ray Vargas instead petitioned the WBC uh, because uh, Santa Cruz is ordered uh, still to make the WBA mandatory against his, his mandatory, which is Lee Wood, the regular champion. In any event, Ray Vargas, instead of uh, fighting Leo Santa Cruz, petitioned the WBC uh, to become the mandatory challenger and to challenge for the WBC's 130-pound title, which, of course, the WBC and the WBO titles became vacant uh, uh, a few weeks ago when Shakur Stevenson failed to make the weight for his defense against Robinson Kansasau, who then lost the fight, so the titles remained vacant. So the number one contender in the WBC that was going to be the mandatory was uh, Oshaki Foster, and uh, Ray Vargas, as the champion of the lower weight class, petitioned the WBC to be the other guy in that fight. They approved it. And so while they're still waiting for the particulars to get ironed out of exactly when that fight will happen, the bottom line is uh, it will be uh, Oshaki Foster from Houston against uh, Ray Vargas from Mexico, who will at some point, uh, you know, in the, in the coming months, fight for the vacant WBC title. And in terms of the WBO's um, title at 130 pounds, uh, they haven't announced what the specifics are. They have their annual convention that take place later this month in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And during the convention, they will uh, give the particulars of that. I would assume that their number one ranked fighter, Archie Sharp, who is uh, from the UK also, who is very interested in fighting for that title, that he will be one half of that fight. Who the other fighter in that uh, department depends on, uh, on what they decide. The rankings still have to be updated since uh, what happened in the in the most recent title fight with uh, Shakur and, and Kansasau. Uh, but that's how that situation is going to play out. So Ray Vargas, 
you know, will have the opportunity to challenge. And if he wins, presumably he'll stay at 130. If he loses, he would, I guess, possibly come back to 126 and continue to defend the featherweight title. Uh, and if not, it'll become vacant and uh, somebody else will get the fight for the WBC's featherweight title. All right. And Mauricio Laura, because he lost the fight with Wood due to Wood's injury, didn't lose the actual fight, but the fight is off because of the injury. And Laura is now announced to be back later when what's going on. Well, he was supposed to fight Lee Wood in what was going to be a pretty good fight on September 24th. Uh, that was to be the main event on a matchroom card on the zone, uh, but because uh, uh, that fight was called off because of the injury, uh, Instead, Laura will go back home to Mexico. He'll have a main event on the zone. They do a series of fights uh, in Mexico, uh, and he'll face Jose San Martin in the main event there. It's always good to see Laura back in action. He's exciting, and he gets to fight at home for the first time in a couple of years. They have lightweight Angel Fierro on that card, and uh, uh, the excellent New York prospect, uh, a welterweight who's now moving down to junior welterweight, Rashad Mahdi, 12-0, and 0, uh, 24 years old from Staten Island, really can fight. He's been plagued by some injuries. Hopefully he can get healthy. He's going to be in his first ever 10-rounder, going for his first ever title, a regional belt. Uh, so, uh, you know, definitely a guy to keep an eye on. And, uh, you know, originally that October 22nd date, which is the date of this card in Mexico, was supposed to be the main event of Julio Cesar Martinez, the WBC's flyweight champion. But he, uh, Matchroom Boxing, instead decided, I think mainly because they were not going to do the Chocolatito um, third fight with Roman Gonzalez. They weren't going to have that fight take place in San Antonio, as I, they were talking about, which means Bam Rodriguez will not fight on that card. And the co-feature now will instead be Julio Cesar Martinez, very exciting fighter, flyweight. Uh, and they'll do a rematch between him and McWilliams Arroyo, who had a wild fight that was a no contest after three rounds, or I guess it technically was a technical draw. Uh, there was a bad headbutt and uh, it couldn't go on, but they had, a, they were both knocked down. Uh, there was multiple knockdowns. It was just an all-out crazy action fight for three rounds. Uh, they'll do the rematch, um, and that fight will end up taking place instead on the under. The rematch will be on the undercard of uh, Chocolatito and Estrada, which is uh, December the 3rd, and instead of taking place in San Antonio, as they originally thought, as we discussed on the podcast last week, instead will take place um, in, uh, in uh, Glendale, Arizona. In the Phoenix area for that, and that's the trilogy fight between those two guys, future Hall of Famers. Is that's a damn good about. card, by the way. We like we like that. Lots of fights coming. October. Listen, we can we can get all over matchroom boxing for what happened with this Connor Ben business and the and the postponement of the fight, but you can't really give them any grief for putting together uh, that December third card because between Roman Gonzalez and uh, Roman Gonzalez Chocolatito number three, and then you throw in an exciting fighter, uh, you know, like. Uh, like Julio Cesar Martinez in a, in a real fight against Arroyo, you know, that, that's a real, that's a really good fight also. Like that. Uh, good card. Like that. All right. And there's a passing that you want to make mention of one of the more uh, well-known fighters in South American history that passed away. Dan, uh, you're a great uh, historian of the sport. Very nostalgic. I am as well. Tell me more about this before we rock on. Well, I feel like we, we talk a lot about the things that go on on a daily basis in boxing on this podcast, whether it's previewing the fights that come up or we talk about the events that occur, like what happened with the drug testing. And then, of course, uh, what happens in the fights as we come off the weekend. And that's all important because it's what's happening right now. What fans are talking about, it's the most interesting thing because it's happening right now. But I think we need to pay respect to what happened in the past of the of the greats that paved the way for what we see today. And it, I would be remiss if we did not spend a minute or two talking about the passing of the great Edward Joffrey. He is a Hall of Famer. He is considered, well, first of all, he's a former Bantamweight and Featherweight champion of the world back in the day when there was not 17 weight classes. Um, most people consider him to be the greatest fighter in Brazilian history. Uh, all due respect to my boy, Popo Freitas. Uh, he's also considered by many to be um, maybe the greatest fighter ever from South America, other than perhaps the great middleweight champion, Carlos Monzon. But he passed away this past Sunday. He was 86 years old. He's in the Hall of Fame. He was an Olympian for his country in 1956. He was 72 wins, two losses, two draws, 50 knockouts. The Ring Magazine ranks him among the greatest 100 punchers in the history of boxing. Mm. Um, uh, you know, he had some big wins. His only losses in his career, he lost two fights. He lost to Fighting Harada from Japan twice in world title fights. And Fighting Harada is also in the Hall of Fame. So think about it like this. Gennady Golovkin has two official losses in his career, both against Canelo Alvarez, who's going to be a future Hall of Famer. So if you, if, you, if you go back 50 years and look at Edder Joffrey, he has two losses in his career, only to a fellow Hall of Famer in fighting Harada. So Joffrey was a great fighter. Uh, you know, he fought in, in a multitude of countries. You know, when he won his first title, it was in the United States. 
and he was just a great fighter. And I think people, you know, if they, if they want to know more about him, they should just hit up YouTube and, or, or go to, you know, Wikipedia or go on the boxing hall of fame website and, you know, spend two minutes reading a little biography on this guy, because, uh, you know, he was not a big name in the news or a retired fighter that was around at all the other fights, but he, he was a great all-time fighter. And like I said, uh, former featherweight champ, um, former Bantamweight champ, maybe the greatest Bantamweight champ of all time. That was at a time when there was no such thing as a junior featherweight champion. So, you know, keep in mind that when you, when you talk about uh, the greats of the, of, of all time, I get tired of hearing and seeing people on social media who, who somehow think the boxing was created in like 2007 when they started watching. <laughs> Very true. And I was just thinking this when you were saying it, probably fought largely in anonymity a lot of the time, not on TV, if at all, not making a ton of money, but still winning a bunch of significant fights to have a Hall of Fame career. And that's why yeah, you I mean, listen, even when he defended his title at featherweight, uh, it was, it was, he only had one successful defense. And then he, you know, the title he got stripped for inactivity. But his only victory in a title fight defense at featherweight was against Vicente Saldivar, who was also in the Hall of Fame. So, I mean, he, if you look at his record and you, and you do a little study, I mean, the guy, you know, and he was very active. And like I said, one of the great punchers. Uh, and uh, anyway, so I figured we might as well. Spend 86 a couple of years. Yes. 86 a years long, old. a long life lived because not a lot. I mean, this is obviously common. You know, this not a lot of boxers make it to 70, 75, 80, much less 86 years of age. So that says something for his health and being able to hang in there as well. Just so you know. And you mentioned about fighting Harada, who was the one fighter he lost to when he went into their first fight. He was Joffrey was 47, 0 and three going into that fight. And he ended wow. up finishing his career 72, two and four. So it tells you here he has 47 straight wins, lost the fights to, to uh, Harada and then reeled off another bunch of wins. 30, why not 30 more wins? Ridiculous. He actually retired after the Harada fight. He retired for three years came back and won 14 fights in a row and then won the featherweight title. Just a great fighter. That's all there is to it. All right. So thank you for the recognition on that. We will pause here and then we're coming back talking Showtime PBC main event card in California as part of the big fight weekend preview. You hang in there with us. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. Back in one final time here with our insider, Dan Rayfield, who was just thumbing through some more uh, WADA and uh, USADA and any other ADA uh, drug testing policies. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he did not. And, and by the way, I should uh, wrap things up by saying on the podcast, my wife and I did successfully go through fertility treatment because we have twin girls. Uh, and, and it's not lost on us that a lot of people in all seriousness spend tens of thousands of dollars at times, maybe as much as 40, 50, a hundred thousand dollars and do not have success in fertility. My wife and I, uh, through the, uh, fertility clinics that we used here in the Tampa Bay area in Florida, where I'm based and spent our money, had great doctors, great technology with the drugs. This is going back 15 years ago on what can help you etc. And I'm just pointing out again to the audience, I took Clomid as one of the drugs, which again, is doing various things to the male testosterone level. I'm speaking truth from experience. You're not going to get that on a lot of boxing podcasts with people that are going to be able to come forward. And I can tell you the difference between that, between human growth hormone, between different types of testosterone and what it does. And again, one more time, Clomid doesn't naturally show up in your system. Males don't naturally have Clomid in their system. That's an important point uh, that we share one more time in this uh, Connor Ben controversy here and what happens with that all right on to fights in the ring please we've got coming up the showtime pbc card that has sebastian the towering inferno fondora in action with carlos ocampo who is a uh an, an interesting contending fighter this will be a challenge wbc interim junior middleweight championship all right dan tell us more this is the showtime main event saturday night i mean erickson lubin uh, was his opponent in Fundora's last fight that took place in April. They put on a definite candidate for fight of the year. I mean, a tremendous battle. Anybody that saw that also on Showtime, you know, is not going to forget it. Just a, just an all-out spot yes. fest. Uh, you know, uh, Fundora you know, had a big size advantage like he does against most of opponents. He knocked Erickson Lubin down in the second round. 
But, uh, you know, Lubin's credit, he got off his rear end. He got back in the fight. They put on a blazing battle. He knocked Fundora down in round seven. First time he'd ever been down in his career. Fundora got hit with a great shot. He took a knee. As he explained afterwards, he just, you know, he, he needed to take a little breather. And instead of being too brave and standing in there and, and maybe getting knocked out, he took the knee after taking that shot to collect himself. He got up. He rallied. And at the end, uh, Fundora, you know, just laid it on Lube in the last couple of rounds. And it was after the after the ninth round that it was uh, Kevin Cunningham, uh, a great trainer, who was the trainer for Erickson Lubin, who decided he had seen enough and he threw the towel in and saved this guy from a, a, a terrible beating beyond that ninth round. And uh, it was a big win for Fundora. He got that interim title. Uh, so people are aware the interim title was available because the WBC had permitted uh, the rematch between Charlo and Castaño for the undisputed title. And so that was sort of like uh, the fact that you had Lubin and Fundora had already both won elimination fights. So that was sort of like the, you know, let these guys do their undisputed situation. You know, we'll take care of you with the uh, with the interim title. So, you know, it's not that big of a deal in terms of the title. And even I, I respect uh, Fundora's comments in the lead up to the fight where, you know, he enjoys having the belt, of course, but he knows it's not the real title. He spoke about wanting to eventually fight for the real title. Uh, but in any event, this fight is for the interim title and his opponent is is uh, is Carlos Ocampo. Now, Ocampo is a Mexican fighter who I may be a little biased against, perhaps he is 34 and one with 22 knockouts. He's won something like a dozen fights in a row. The problem is I was there in Frisco, Texas, when in his final welterweight fight, all those wins he's had in a row have all come since he moved up to Juma middleweight. This is back in June of 2018 uh, at the Ford Center in Frisco, Texas. And I was there during the Showtime fight, and he got absolutely annihilated in the first round by Errol Spence. He was yep. the IBF mandatory challenger. Errol was at that time, had the IBF title only. Now he's got three of the, 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 three of the belts. But Errol Spence just just laid waste to him in three rounds. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, in one round, knocked him out at the end of the, at the end of that round. And uh, you know, Ocampo just didn't show up that night. Got utterly destroyed. He's to his credit, he's you know he's still a young fighter. He's only uh, 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 26 years old. He's been able to put together that long winning streak um, against some okay opponents. Like he has a victory against Mikhail Zuski. Uh, you know, he beat Vicente Rodriguez uh, in his most recent fight, you know, by a first round knockout. You know, these are credible opponents. In any event, he's now got the opportunity to fight Fundora. He's been talking a good game. Fundora has been talking a good game. What I like about what they're saying is while they both say it's going to be a great fight and they expect action, they both are intelligent fighters, it seems like, because Fundora has talked about why, you know, how he used his intelligence and just his ability to stay calm and poised to take the knee against Lubin and think about what he had to do. And uh, likewise, in terms of uh, the situation with Ocampo, he said what he learned from the Spence fight, uh, which he admitted was you know, a terrible situation for him, is to not be as aggressive and to, to do wild things, but to use his intelligence more. So as I wrote in my headline of the story I wrote previewing this fight, they're going to use brawn and brains as they go into the battle. So I expect it to be an action fight, but an action fight between thinking fighters. And that makes for, I think, an interesting matchup. Fondura is nine to one as the favorite. Interesting on the Bet US line. We'll talk more about this on the Bet US boxing preview, depending on when you're hearing this podcast as it comes out on Friday. Bet US live show boxing one Eastern time. You can also play that back on the Bet US platform on YouTube anytime before the fight Saturday night. We'll give you a little gambling advice. Interesting. I've watched Fondura now fight four or five times. I know Lennox Lewis made this point during one of his fights, and I thought it was very apt. Dan, I want your thought real quick. He's got massive size and wingspan uh it's interesting somebody pointed out he's got a bigger wingspan than tyson fury has from fingertip to fingertip that's interesting but uh, lennox lewis's point is that at times he fights in too close quarters to the opposition nullifying what is really an advantage for him in lennox's case he has said on a couple of occasions take a half step back and if you do create that distance, the other guy's not going to be able to get to you very easily at all. His criticism is he needs better instruction or coaching or mindset of don't get so close to your smaller um, opposition that doesn't have as good a reach, doesn't have as good a wingspan. Your thought on that, and we're looking for this, obviously in the Saturday night fight with Ocampo, is he only fighting him at close quarters? I mean, Lennox Lewis is, a, you know, is obviously a great student of boxing. He's a Olympic gold medalist and a 
and a, and a former uh, heavyweight champion, undisputed champion, Hall of Famer. I mean, he knows what he's talking about. And he was a big man also in the heavyweight division where he had to use, uh, you know, his physical attributes. And he's 100% right. Fandora, as good as he is now as an undefeated fighter and coming off that great victory and excellent fight against Lubin and the things he's done, and he's improved as he's gotten a little bit more mature. Uh, you know, he doesn't use his greatest gift, which is his length and his height, the, the, the just the size advantage, advantage that he's going to have against basically every fighter he'll ever face. Uh, I mean, unless he goes up to heavyweight, which they actually joke about uh, doing someday, uh, that you need to, against the better fighters, you would want to more better use that reach advantage and that height advantage that don't crouch over, don't get in so close. You know, you, you don't allow yourself to throw your shots uh, and get full extension on those punches. Um, so Lennox Lewis's advice is, is absolutely dead on it, but there's a difference between hearing it and, and thinking about it and actually executing it. So it's going to be up to Fandora as he gets more experience and, and gets a little bit more, more mature as a fighter. Uh, this is not a kid that had, you know, 300 amateur fights. You know, there's still, there's still an element of a learning curve for him. And, uh, you know, he's learning on the job. So he can, he, he, as good as he is, there's still definitely room for improvement if he can just refine a few of those things. It's not anything like dramatic. Just as Lennox said, it's, 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 it's down to the small little fine-tuning details that will help him an awful lot in his future. All right, two fights of note that are on the undercard. The co-feature fight does have Carlos Adamas and uh, Juan Macias Montiel. Montiel known for having challenged um, against Jamal Charlo in his last fight a year ago in June. Adamas is, a, is obviously a rising contender as well. A quick thought on that. It's the co-feature fight. Yeah, I mean, this is actually what I think will probably be a good action fight. I don't know how good these two guys are. I don't know if I put them necessarily in like the top 10 of the weight class even. Uh, for sure not uh, Juan, Man Mon uh, Juan Montiel. Um, in terms of Adamas, he was an excellent up-and-coming prospect. He had been with top rank. Uh, he was undefeated. Um, he ended up losing what was an interim title fight at 154 pounds. Uh, to Patrick Tecita. This was back in 2019. Um, it was a close fight. It ended up being, in essence, for the real title because it was for the interim title, but everybody knew that a couple of weeks later that the, the title was, uh, the WBO title was being vacated. In any event, he became a free agent after that top rank and him went their separate ways. They didn't really have anything for him in the weight class. But since he went up, uh, he's then, he's fought his next fight at 154. He won that fight. He's won three fights in a row, one at 154, but his next two fights were at middleweight. The big win, of course, came in December where he had a, a very good victory against Sergey Devrinchenko, who has fought, uh, you know, in world title fights on a multitude of occasions. And so because Charlo, the other Charlo, who is the WBC's middleweight champion, has been sidelined since June of last year, uh, had a back injury, had a force of a, of a postponement of a fight that was supposed to be this past June. So he hasn't fought. So the WBC allowed this interim title. Uh, you had Adamas, who was one of the leading contenders. Um, as you mentioned, Montiel's last fight, not his last fight, two fights ago, he had a loss against Charlo in a very one-sided fight, but nonetheless, they uh, obviously deemed him in their ratings to be able to go into this interim fight. So he has won uh, one bout since that, that loss against Charlo. Um, this is the kind of fight that probably will lend itself to good action. Uh, it's hard to picture uh, Juan Messias Montiel winning this fight just because of the fact that Adamas is much fresher, I think much stronger. And uh, But look, Montiel went the distance with uh, Charlo. And even though he lost basically every single round, you know, there's the, there's the old saying from my, my good pal, Larry Merchant, there's, there's the guy that wins. And then there's the guy that wins the event. So in the, in the case of the Charlo uh, Montiel fight, Charlo won the fight going away, but in many ways, Montiel won the event because he showed such a good heart and he put up such a great fight and the fans were really into it. And it was because of uh, the, the balls that he showed in that fight. And so it could be that kind of situation, which is why he got this opportunity. So we'll see how that goes. So, He's going to put up a great effort, I believe, but I think Adamas is probably just a bit too, a bit too strong for him, and uh, probably ends up winning a decision. And uh, and the winner uh, will be in line to fight Charlo at some point. Adamas uh, six to one favorite on the Bet US line. We'll talk more about that on the Bet US Boxing Show Friday afternoon, depending on when you're hearing us. And one more, just real quick, the fight that will open things: uh, Super Flyweight Showdown with Fernando Martinez, Jerwin, and Cajas. Uh, tell me more. It's an evenly matched fight that's going to open the PBC show. Premier Boxing Champions on Showtime there from the war grounds, as we like to call it in Carson, California. Stop calling it the punch bowl. I oh, know our please. guys, I know our guys, Brian Custer, Mauro Ranallo love saying punch bowl. 
I don't war grounds. The war grounds uh, will open with Martinez and, and Encajas here. I love those guys, but if they call it the punch bowl, every time I hear it, I want to just jump off my couch or <laughs> stick something in my eye. Uh, in any event, this is like you said, it's the opening fight. Look, they had a first fight back in February uh, and, and Fernando Martinez scored the big upset. It was considered a very big upset. He won a unanimous decision. It really wasn't all that close uh, and took away uh, that 115 pound IBF belt from Ancasas, who going into that fight was had been the longest reigning active title holder in boxing uh, and, and had had that title for quite a while, even though he hadn't he really had like the ultra defining fight. In any event, he got upset, and now they're meeting in an immediate rematch, and we'll see if, uh, if uh, you know, if Martinez can do the trick twice. I mean, it's uh, Acosta is still a good fighter; he's only got a couple of losses, but uh, Martinez is undefeated, fourteen and 8 knockouts from Argentina. Gave him a really tough fight the first time, and now it's all about, you know, was it a fluke or is it a, a you know, is it a, a more of a trend? Let's say if he can beat him again. So, I don't know if that's the greatest fight in the world. I don't think their first fight was anything necessary to write home about, but. That, that gives the uh, the card a little depth, I guess. And the winner of the fight is going to be in a good position because as we've talked about on this podcast and, and just boxing in general, we all know that the 115-pound weight class is a dynamite division. It is home to Chocolatito Gonzalez and Juan Francisco Estrada. Um, you know, Quadras, of course. Uh, Bam Rodriguez now is one of the champions in that weight class. I mean, it's a loaded division. Even though Soronga side decides to come back. But you throw uh, an undefeated younger guy like uh, Fernando Martinez in there, Plus, you know, you still got Ancasas kicking around. It's a, you know, in a, in a weight class that's maybe not the most uh, sexy weight class, the one that gets the most publicity, especially, you know, here in this part of the world. 115 pounds is, is a badass weight class right now. All right. Good enough that, again, that fight, the Martinez fight with Ancajas is going to open up the show on Showtime. Fondora main event with Ocampo. Uh, we'll see what the towering Inferno does. Does he deliver another knockout? Looking to be on the radar for a title shot with Jermel Charlo, who's the undisputed champion somewhere 2023, possibly. Who knows? Uh, for now, though, I think we're good with the previews, with all the stuff on the drug testing, the news of the week. Are you ready for the weekend, my friend? One more time. We ready to roll? I'm ready. And like I told you, man, I, I'm not going to have a lot to do Saturday afternoon when there's no Eubank Ben uh, coming over on the zone from the U.K., so I'm going to take some time over the weekend. I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch the, the, the fights from their two legendary fathers and uh, uh, sort of uh, have good memories of those matchups. Uh, and I would recommend that if you're if you're a fan that was really uh, disappointed to see uh, the Suns have their fight canceled or called off, you know, do yourself a favor. Go find a little YouTube action. Those are on. They're on there. And uh, check those fights out because they were classics. Yeah. yeah. Nigel Ben. And then later. Later, well, of course, 10 p.m. Eastern, I'll be show, watching sure. the Showtime. Nigel Ben, two-division world champ. Chris Eubank, one of the most popular fighters, late 80s and 90s in Britain. and those Also two-division champion. They fought, they fought like in front of 40,000 people, as you were saying earlier in the podcast, in their rematch. So that, it's an exciting yeah. crowd there as well. So the, the first fight, uh, at least in the United States, was not shown here. In, in England, it was, you know, kind of, they put on a great fight. It turned out to be uh, Eubank with the knockout victory. Uh, and that was in a middleweight title fight. That was a WBO fight, but that was at a time where the WBO, at least here and in most places in the world, really wasn't recognized. Even in England, it was still sort of like a sketchy title. It, it got a lot more um, attention and was brought more into the mainstream because of fights like Eubank and Ben. That helped create the credibility that the WBO achieved. It was fights involving guys like that, involving Prince Nassim Ahmed, also from England, fighters who were at the top of the game that embraced that belt. So that was their first fight. The second fight, as you mentioned, uh, when they met in a rematch, it was a unification of the WBC and the WBO fight uh, titles at super middleweight. And they fought that fight in front of like almost 50,000 people at a stadium in uh, England. And it was a huge event and a, and it was live on Showtime or I don't know if it was live. It was maybe taped delay on Showtime later in the day, but nonetheless, it was shown on Showtime in the United States. And uh, those fights made, uh, as, as, as great of fights as they were in, and, and Nigel Ben in particular, he was a very exciting action fighter. As great of fights as those were uh, against other uh, fights that they had against other opponents, it was their pairing against each other, uh, not only the way the fights went, but the difference in their personalities and the way they engage each other in the pre-fight business. Uh, it made them both legends in England. And, you know, it's funny, I got my Hall of Fame ballots this week. Mm -hmm. um, and Nigel Ben and, and Chris Eubank Sr. have been on the ballot for the last few years. Um, and when I look through the ballot, it's so hard because there's so many guys, the ballots around 40 names or so for modern men. And there's so many guys in there. I want to vote for. 
But when I was actually looking at it closely the other night, when I got it, as I'm thinking about what I'm going to do with my, my votes, you can vote for five guys in that category out of those roughly 40 or so. I got to count up the exact number. Uh, only three get elected unless there's a fourth person that somehow achieves 80% of the vote. So most likely it's going to be three out of the f- three people will definitely be elected. I can vote for five. I used to play games like I'm only going to vote for these couple of guys because I want to make sure my guy gets in. I don't play games like that. I vote for the five if I feel there are five. In the case of the modern men's ballot, which got a little bit more crowded than usual, because a few years ago, the Hall of Fame changed the, the waiting period from five years to three years. It, it crowded it up. Now, that that crowd has now dissipated because we saw Roy Jones and Klitschko and, and uh, Floyd Mayweather and Miguel Cotto and Shane Mosley and uh, Bernard Hopkins and Juan Manuel Marquez. I hope I'm not forgetting anybody. All these great fighters I was had the privilege to cover. They've all been elected in recent right. years. And this past June, because of the pandemic, uh, they did three induction years at once. And it was unbelievable to see all those great stars together uh, on that day as, uh, you know, being inducted into the Hall of Fame together. In any event, that log jam is now over. The three new fighters that they placed on the ballot this year were Arthur Abraham, um, I'm, I'm trying to, and I'm not I'm forgetting who the other guys were right. that were on there. But the, the, the point is, none of the throw, oh, and Omar Narvaez, the former flyweight and junior bantamweight uh, title holder from Argentina. And I can't remember who the third one was. But the main point is, the three newcomers to the ballot were not fighters that jumped off the, the page to me as saying that they should be automatic first ballot Hall of Famers. When Roy Jones shows up on the ballot, you know, of course, or Floyd Mayweather shows up on the ballot, you're like, I don't really have to do a lot of studying for who I'm going to vote for. <laughs> but because the three newcomers to this year's ballot are not fighters that I think uh, are going to are not even close to first ballot type guys, I'm not sure if they ever get in, to be quite frank. It's a year in which I've got five votes to use for guys I've been voting for or want to vote for. There are of those 35 or 40 fighters on the ballot, about a dozen to 14 that I really want to vote for. And Nigel Ben and Chris Eubank Sr. are in that group of guys I want to vote for, but I could not in good conscience vote for them ahead of a guy like Floyd Mayweather or Miguel Cotto or Shane Mosley or whatever. Um, And I still don't know if I can get to them this year because I've been voting for guys like Carl Frotch and Timothy Bradley Jr., and Ivan Calderon, and there's a lot of great fighters. Uh, Ricky Hatton is on the ballot, who I think deserves and an opportunity. And you only get five. It's not and like get you get five. nine. Yeah. And only three of them get voted in. So, you know, it becomes a very difficult situation. And you get, you know, I get all these people on Twitter, they see my picks when I write that column, and they want to rip you to death. And it's like, I take it so seriously. I freaking agonize over those ballots. And it's sure. It's I not just the modern men's ballot. It's the ballot for the old timers and the, and the, and the observers and the, and the women's ballot that I receive. And there's also the uh, non-participants. Um, and by the way, I was very happy to see uh, some of my longtime pals in this business who are maybe people that aren't known immediately by the public, but I know what they've done in their careers and they're worthy in the categories that they are in. That is people like Mark Taffet, the longtime uh, HBO pay-per-view executive now, uh, serving as a manager and working with Clarissa Shields in particular. Um, my good pal, Brad Jacobs, who's the chief operating officer of top rank, who does the job of like 50 people. It feels like, I mean, in many ways, and this is no knock on the great staff at top rank. He's sort of the glue that keeps that operation running in many ways. Um, you know, tremendous people that, that make that ballot, the, the great trainer and broadcaster, Joe Goosen on the ballot for the first time, his brother, uh, the, the, the long, uh, the, the, the late promoter, Dan Goosen, who was a very dear friend of mine for many years, who got in in the in the in the in the inductions this past June. Um, you know, there's a, there's so many good people and candidates on the ballot. But in the in the men's modern category, I am just happy that for the first time in a long time, I can finally start to clear the decks, I hope, of some of those guys that have been deserving for so long. And when is that due? Just real quick before we leave. When do so you the have ballots, to have the, that in? Yeah, the ballots were sent out to the to the electors. Uh, beginning on the 1st of October, they're due back postmark no later than October the 31st. And Fair as enough. I'm looking here at the, uh, I'm looking here at the ballot, the copy that I have, because I can't look at the photo because it's on the phone I'm talking to. So I went to my, my Twitter feed to see if I can figure out who that third fighter was. I told you it's Omar Narvaez was one of them. Uh, uh, oh, I know the third one, you've got Narvaez, you have uh, Arthur Abraham, and the one I was forgetting is Michael Nunn. 
a guy who is definitely a worthy candidate for the Hall of Fame. Is Michael um, Nunn a better candidate around the same weight division than Nigel Ben or Chris Eubank? That's the tough call. Is it is a tough worthy? call. But the thing about it is, and I, I say this knowing sort of, I already have a vague idea of what I'm going to do because I know guys who I voted for in the past. Like, I want to vote for all of them. Michael Nunn is definitely a worthy candidate. I mean, take a look at his run when he was at the best. A lot of people considered him to be uh, maybe pound for pound number one for a while. Um, you know, people talked about him on the level of uh, having the talent, let's say, of a Sugar Ray Leonard. You know, it maybe didn't become that level, but Michael Nunn was one hell of a fighter. Uh, you know, he had the unfortunate uh, situation where he ended up going away to prison on a drug conviction for a number of years for trying to sell marijuana in, in not just like a, a bag, but I mean, like, you know, pounds and pounds of it, I guess. Um, he's been re- he's been out of prison now for a while, but, you know, that should not have an impact on his uh, his uh, Hall of Fame candidacy. I know we're getting off on a tangent because we didn't really intend to talk about this, but I just thought of it because of the Ben and Eubank situation and their fathers being on the ballot. You know, uh, it makes it really tough. But all three of those guys, the, the Ben Eubank, as well as Michael Nunn, who's a newcomer, uh, all are worthy candidates. But I don't know if I can get to them on this ballot, which is why. This is a chance, not just for me, but for all the electors to to put forth uh, some names. So I feel like based on the three that were elected or or that were added, that we're going to see three candidates elected this year that are holdovers from previous years. Because with all due respect to Abraham Nervais and Michael Nunn, I don't see any of the three of them making it on the first ballot. So there'll be some uh, happy holdovers that will be elected, in my opinion. All right. Good on the Hall of Fame there to get us done. Plenty on this podcast. Again, follow, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify to the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. I promise coming off the weekend uh, that we will have a recap podcast. You behave yourself. Enjoy the Showtime card. I'm headed to the home of Deontay Wilder, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I'm doing college football. Tiki Barber, your New York Giant guy and I are doing national radio of Alabama, Texas A&M from Tuscaloosa Saturday night. I'm going to scramble back here to the Tampa Bay area. My Sunday job is Buccaneers, Buccaneers and Falcons. But I promise I'm coming to my man, Rayfield, for the Fight Night recap after that craziness is over with. I'll get to you Sunday night, Rayfield. Never let it be said I don't get to you. I'm going to get to you. Two things before you go. One, say hi to Tiki. I'm a, I'm, a, yep. I'm a big fan. Yep. And two, you promise while you're down in Tuscaloosa, you're going to go find the, uh, the Deontay Wilder statue and get that selfie. Got to get the Wilder statue in the selfie. I got to see if we can do that and get that up on social media. We'll see if we can get that accomplished on Saturday before uh, the Tide and the Aggies of Texas A&M. Listen, uh, be well this weekend. I'll talk to you on a recap when the weekend's over, all right? Sounds good, my man. There's Dan Rayfield. I'm TJ Reeves. Thank you for finding us here on the Big Fight Weekend Podcast. Bye. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109.